0: All right, Andy, you do the little previously on. Previously on, Gospel Defenders. What's up? Google is your friend, okay? I'm not, I'm not making any of this up, but this may be the message that gives some of you permission, permission to step back. Toward the faith you grew up with, back toward Christianity, not the version of the faith you grew up with, because you outgrew that version, but back toward Christianity as Christianity was meant to be believed and understood.
1: All right, guys. So uh, welcome to episode eight point two of Gospel Defenders Radio, and what we're listening to is Mr. Andy Stanley, huge mag- mega church pastor, thirty something thousand members, and uh, first of all. Uh, we kind of recap last week's episode where uh, he said that, you know, if you want to fact-check everything, I'm saying in the sermon, use Google. Uh, the interesting thing there is he has not yet used any scripture in his message, but he's pointing people to the sufficiency of Google to fact-check his message and that, that this series would give them permission to step back to the faith. And uh, if you didn't get to hear our last episode, go check it out. On uh, iTunes, you can now search Gospel Defenders uh, on iTunes You can check out Podcast 8.1 Where we review Mm -hmm. the first part of this sermon series So, welcome, this is uh, Jesse the Radical here at Gospel Defenders Radio I'm going to let the other guys say hello, introduce themselves. Hello guys, this is Robert the Rain Man Hey, Andy the Anchorman here And so we had a listener this week who asked us why is it beneficial for us to spend time um, mm-hmm. dissecting and analyzing a sermon? I'm going to let you guys uh, jump in. Why do? You, why is this beneficial to you? Well, it's not just this. It's everything that Gospel Defenders
2: does. You have so many people who either twist what the Bible <clears throat> says or just don't flat out even use it at all in an effort to bring people in who, who uh, don't quite believe it, so you kind of want to stoop to their standards, lower yourself to yeah. them, or you got people just twisted around so that they can have their prosperity. And what we want to do here as gospel defenders is to use the Bible to defend that and say, no, you're wrong. This is, watch what the Bible says right here. And this is what we go by. This is what we do.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that's, I think that's key. And, you know, it's also to realize as well, we're not trying to tear anyone down, but also the scripture has given us full authority for correction And that means when people get off to the left or right, Scripture is supposed to line you back up. God has given that for us to use. And so as men of God, we're supposed to hold each other accountable. I am not against correction for myself. If I was teaching something improperly, I would expect the listeners or another preacher or someone like that to say, hey, brother, what you're teaching according to the Scripture is not correct. And I think that's biblical. I think that's the way we should go. Um, And also we have to realize that it's not so much Andy Stanley, but it's the people who is listening. So we got to be there for them and what they're hearing. You know, that's a lot of people's souls that are hearing a twisting of the Scripture or not giving full authority to the Scripture, and we should be there for them. So that's why we should always be ready to defend the faith. Amen. Um,
1: and, and, you know, this is different from kind of what we've done in the past, the Gospel Defender segment. We always tackle a topic or uh an opposition to the faith but how do you see this as relating to something that you know cuz this is coming from a preacher so it's like what's the possibility that this is something that is counter countering our faith
3: how do you see the relationship there well i mean that that's the thing is that we're, we're dealing with human beings it doesn't matter that he's a preacher right Everybody can err. Which means I can err. Correct. You can err. I can err. You can err. And just because he's a preacher, people have to realize that that's why the authority comes from the scripture. This is what is inspired. This is the word of God. And that even with him, you know, some some people hold preachers to such a reverence that they forget that, you know what? We're human beings as well. We mess up as well. Mm -hmm. And so we have to have accountability. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, first off, just because he's a preacher, he's not... uh, so perfect where he cannot be corrected. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be very cautious because Scripture tells us keep an eye on one. I mean, even Paul had to go to Peter. Peter was deceived by ones who were Judaizers that had slipped into the church using Christian, Christian language. Because obviously Peter, being a Christian, fell into the trap that they were doing. Paul went and corrected that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Peter wasn't against that. He, re- he repented from what was taking place. Now the others, they did not hear what did Paul say? They were like dogs. Mm. So Peter, being of the faith, repented. The others who did not kept teaching their heresy. So.
1: Yeah, I think that's good. I think, yeah, and there's points in my life where I know that I was uh, off track. And one of the most secure things that has helped me now is knowing that uh, by teaching straight through the Word of God. Amen. Mm-hmm. The goal of preaching is simply to exposit what the scriptures say. And I think that's the danger. When you got a sermon series where three, two, three episodes in, you're not even using scripture yet. Well, then what's the basis for man's authority? It's his own ideas, his own opinions. If it's not based on scripture, which is really, Robert goes back to the Roman idea of... Uh, tradition and scripture as the guide for our faith. And that's what's happening here, especially when you got a guy who's overseeing 33,000 people who's kind of like the pope of his own little kingdom. Whatever he says, people are going to take as uh, divine truth because they're not knowing how to discern properly. So to our listeners who are wondering why we would do this, we want you to discern properly. We want you to discern what your preacher is saying. I want you to discern what I am saying. And if I am saying something that is outside of the revealed word of God, then I'm claiming some other authority for my ability to communicate God's revelation. As far as I know, I have no authority to do that. Uh, uh, and that's why this goes back to our view on sola scriptura, scripture alone as our source of revelation, source of authority for the Christian's life. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on about the implications of this because the stuff he said previously, you know, there are parts of the Bible we have a problem with. Well, if that's true, then we're not going to hold people to the moral standard of what Mm. the Bible says. So there are a whole lot of reasons why this analysis affects every area of our um, church life, ecclesiology, of our own personal salvation, soteriology, of our... Uh, relationships with pastors, relationships with church members,
3: Mm -hmm. even while we come to church to begin with, everything is related to this. You know, I think that is, I think that usually sometimes gets missed that we, we don't realize of how much this actually affects everything in our life. I mean, people think, oh, well, it's just a little bit of this or a little bit of that. But, you know, if you start chipping away at a foundation, if you start just chipping, 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 what's going to eventually happen? It's going to crumble. Yep. It's not going to be able to support your argument. It's not going to be able to support what you believe. It's not going to be able to, to hold. Right. And so that's why it's, it's, it's so crucial that we have a firm foundation, uh, but knowing that, you know, yeah, just these little cracks and fractures, eventually it will break. Yep. And so that's why we have to have caution.
1: All right. So last week we got about, what does that say, Robert? Six minutes and a half. We got about six and a half minutes into the sermon. The sermon's 40 minutes long, so we're going to try to take a larger chunk out of it today. Maybe I'm going to try to talk less. Maybe we'll try to watch more. <laughs> but it, really, it's fine. I mean, if we do four segments of this and we only get through, let's say, 30 minutes of the whole thing, I think we're going to fully communicate what we're trying to dialogue with and what we're trying to provide evidence for that Sola scripture has to be the basis of our faith uh, because we, we don't have anything else. So y'all ready to jump in? I'm ready. Here we go.
0: Now, um, perhaps, and here's, here's where we, we kinda start the conversation, and this is where we have our, our first you know collective, um, you know, aha, not aha moment, but oh my gosh moment. And be, the conversation really begins like this. Many of you, you're like me, many of you were brought up to believe this, Jesus loves me, this I know, right? I mean, it's a fabulous song. Most of our kids are still singing this song. We sang this song. Jesus loves me this I know. What's the next line? Right, for the Bible tells me so. And this is where our trouble began. It really did. This is where our trouble began because, and don't leave, because the implication is, the implication is, this is important, the implication is the Bible is the reason we believe.
3: yes. Yeah, I can agree with that. <laughs> that's did, true. Did you hear his little one little thing in there where he says, don't leave? Yeah, don't leave. Because I guarantee you, a lot of people were like, Ugh. "Right." I wish they could see your face on the radio if, if you could do your face, but your shocked face that you give during your sermons, because that's what would have took place. So first of all, we here at Gospel Defenders would say that the Bible is the source of
1: our authority because it is God's Inspired word. It is the word of God. It is not the construct of man. Second Timothy three sixteen. Every word has been inspired by God, and is useful for correction, training, rebuking, repro- reproof, all that in righteousness. Everything is valuable.
0: Mm-hmm. The Bible is the reason to believe. In other words, I can believe Jesus loves me because it's in the Bible. I grew up in a church where basically the byline, the subtitle for everything was, if the Bible says it, that, anybody? Settles it right here on the front row. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. If the Bible says it, that settles it. And so we send kids off to college with a, if the Bible says it, that settles it. And oh my goodness, they discover that that didn't settle it. And then they come home and they say, "Mom, Dad, Grandma, Granddad, Uncle, Aunt, did you know? Did you know?" And it's like I don't ask those questions. The Bible says it. That settles it. The Bible says it. That settles it. The problem. And we said last week that we agree that that is a faulty methodology.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. With, without being able to, uh, you know, back that up. Correct. And you know, with Scripture and saying the Bible says it right here, then yeah, right. you're not doing anything.
1: And if you can't provide the context of what's going on historically, uh, socially, uh, linguistically. I mean, that's why we study the Word of God. That's why we preach the Word of God, because we want people to be able to read the Word of God for themselves and to interpret it properly. So we're not just saying, hey, we we want you to believe this, and we don't want you to know why. We're not saying that. We want you to believe it because this is God's Word, and here's why. Mm-hmm. So, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
3: The
0: problem is this. The problem with that is this. If the Bible is the foundation of our faith, if the Bible is the foundation of our Which faith, as is. the Bible goes, so goes our faith. Yes. In other words, Christianity cannot survive if the Bible goes away. Christianity Correct. cannot survive if somehow every single part of the Bible isn't absolutely true. If-
1: Matter of fact, Christianity wouldn't be here if it were not for the Bible, And what I'm referring to is, number one, that the fact that Jesus fulfilled the scripture. Mm-hmm. Amen. Which is what the apostles preached. Christ fulfilled the
0: scriptures. The Bible is the foundation of our faith. If the Bible is the foundation of our faith, it is all or nothing. This is why when you grew or growing up, every once in a while, you would bring information to your parents or your grandparents or maybe somebody else who was raising you, and you say, today at school we learned, and they just kind of shut you down. We don't believe that. We don't believe that, we don't believe that. We're Christians, we don't believe that. It's like, yeah, but it's true. Well, we don't believe that. Well, what was that about? Why are Christians so afraid? Why are Christians so fearful? Why are we not the most curious people and scientifically oriented people in the world? I'll tell you why because you were raised in a culture like I was raised in, and it was all or nothing. If anything proves that something in the Bible isn't actually, absolutely, historically, scientifically reliable, uh uh-oh, the whole thing comes tumbling down because this version of Christianity is a house of cards. And all you have to do is pull out one card and the whole thing comes tumbling down. Christianity becomes a fragile house of cards that comes tumbling down when we discover that perhaps the walls of Jericho didn't. When we discover or we're told that... Didn't what? He didn't finish that sentence. No, he didn't.
1: Perhaps the walls of Jericho didn't (laughs) fall? You know what he's saying?
3: Maybe that's his problem. He keeps viewing the Bible as a house of cards when he should be viewing it as a steel iron building that can't be shaken.
4: Mm.
2: Built on the solid rock.
3: I mean, I wonder what he believes. I think we talked a little bit this about last week of what he believes about different theories and scientific facts. That he's so quick to grasp those without really looking at Christian scientists and what they believe and what they understand and all those different viewpoints. Right. So obviously he's had a, something he's been grasping too that. He's running to Well, that's interesting. If you think that all of the pieces
1: like are knit together in such a way that you know, I, I think he I think he sees each one as a separate problem or a separate area. Like this could be true, this could not be true, this could be true, this could not be true. And what that says is In his view, there's parts of the Word of God that don't communicate truth. And that, to me, is problematic. Yeah, because then it becomes which part. Right. You know, what's
2: true, what's not. I mean, he says if one thing falls, the whole thing falls. Right. But what has he found so far that's fallen? I mean, mean, he actually went through it and said, well, so-and-so said that this was wrong, so it must Mm be wrong, so...
3: That's what I'm thinking, he, br- he brings up the wall of Jericho, so obviously he doesn't believe that God is powerful enough to bring down a wall by having worshippers uh, march around it right. and uh, bring the sound of music to, to knock that wall down. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if God can raise himself from the dead, but he's not powerful enough to make a wall
1: fall. Right, because, you know, when we think about, and maybe he would say, well, there's no archaeological evidence for the wall to fall in Jericho. Well... Where's the evidence of Jesus' resurrection? Well, I mean, what whatever evidence are you gonna find? He's like, you're not gonna find bones, you're not gonna find like huh. he's gonna say, Well I was here <laughs> scribed into the wall. You know, I was well, here it's
3: thirty-one thirty-three
2: right 80. eighty. Is the wall still there?
3: No. Well, it must have failed then. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and Like he would say, probably, uh, he would say, well, we believe uh, Jesus raised from the dead because the eyewitness accounts. Okay, amen. Well, we also believe that the wall of Jericho fell down because the eyewitness account. Why? Because the Jews went and they told, this is what God has done. We're telling of his story. How do we know that? Well, because it's written in Scripture. It's written through their testimony, just as it's written in Scripture about Jesus. And I
1: like what Dr. James White says all the time. You have to have the view of Scripture that Jesus had a Scripture. Because every time Jesus quoted the Old Testament, he is quoting it in a factual setting. You know, whether he's quoting about Jonah, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, mm. right? Jesus quoted that. So the Son of Man must also be in the, uh, the belly of the earth three days and three nights. So, you know, you look at Jesus' use of the Old Testament, he's always quoting it as revelation from God.
3: Well, and, and, and the key was uh, when he had the scroll open, and uh, he's reading, for, I think it was from the prophet Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and today the scripture is fulfilled. And what did the Jews all do? They wanted to stone him. They wanted to kill him because he just uh, confirmed what he said that the scripture was about me right. and that it had been fulfilled. Which he said
1: later, all the law and the prophets testify about me. Mm-hmm. So all the stories in the Old Testament you're going to find in the law or the prophets. Now, the wisdom literature, that's not a historical type of literature. But so he's saying everything is pointing to me, whether it's King David, whether it's Jericho, whether it's Moses, whether it's Abraham, on and on and on. It's all pointing to him. And so if that stuff is not true, then what do you have as the foundation of the scriptures that were pointing to him?
0: Perhaps there was no exodus from Egypt to the promised land, that there's no historical evidence of that. When we're told in school and in graduate school that there's no evidence for a worldwide flood.
1: Can I comment on that for a minute? Sure. First of all, ancient, ancient civilizations only recorded history to make themselves look prosperous. Mm-hmm. They did not record. I mean, you don't, you don't have till later in the, I don't know if you call it the antiquities, um, you know, like by the time you get to Joseph, Josephus, who was a Roman citizen, but really he was a Jew. So when he was recording history, he's not worried about how well Rome looks. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what do you think Pharaoh's going to do? Hey, guys, jot this down that uh, I lost control of all these slaves. Yeah. And if they were jotted down, they were going to be burned or they were going to be, uh, you know, when the the libraries of Egypt were destroyed and on and on and on. So yeah, history has been viewed differently throughout the centuries and the millenniums to why people recorded things. They didn't want to record the bad things, which is another interesting note about the Bible, is it records all the bad things.
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's what I was just about to say. You think about how the Jews paint their history. Yeah, there's uh, victory and triumph, but it always comes back to the victory and triumph of God. The people always mess up. They always mess up. And so if you were telling a a false story, why would you paint yourself as the mess up all the time? No, it has to be of God because God's always the victor. Because it glorifies God. That's right. Yep, it points to his glory, not man's glory. When people point
0: out apparent contradictions in the Bible, when in school we're told there's no way the earth is 6,000 years old, it's 4.5 or 4.55 billion years old, and the universe is 14.5 billion years old, and all of us...
1: I could already tell I'm not going to be able to do this whole thing, like I said.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's just too much. Every, every word he says is something that you just have to say, what are you talking about?
1: So, so here's some theories I'm going to throw out. Um, When God created Adam, Adam was already a fully developed man. So most Christians who are um, young earth creationists believe that God created the universe fully developed and that he has full authority to do that. Now, you know, the scientific evidence, you rewind time, the universe is expanding, you rewind time and it's, you know, whatever, 4.5, 15 billion years old. My theory is that that is on a scale of space-time that we have now. It's not on the scale of space-time that occurred at the Big Bang. There was no scale of space-time. And so the expansion that occurred really created its own home base as it started. I mean, time was coming into existence, even science says that, space-time, mm-hmm. the fabric came into existence. So, you know, why well, I don't even understand why this is an issue. D- do you see what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, cause, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but does it actually say in the Bible that the creation took a certain amount of days, or does it, I know that it says each day, this was the morning and the evening were the first day, but... Well, this is a point where
1: Christians would differ, okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you're a literal six day creationist, you're going to take every day as a 24 hour period, Mm -hmm. okay? If you're a day age creationist, you believe that each day represents a period of time. Could be a thousand years, could be a million years. But here's the point the point is either of those things can be both postulated. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and and if if we're reading Genesis, like if he's expecting us to read Genesis, like we're going to read a 21st century science textbook, that's not how Genesis was written. Right.
3: And it's that's a, not why Genesis was written. Correct. It was to reveal God as creator, Yep. Mm-hmm. to reveal uh, his attributes, and to reveal of why he created everything is to have worship. And so... That's the point of when you take the context of, if I wrote a letter out, okay, well, what is my meaning for writing this letter? What am I revealing of this letter? And then you can go through that. But you first have to know why the letter was written. Mm-hmm. And so...
2: Yep. But doesn't it say, too, that you know a minute to God is like a thousand years to us?
3: I think it says one day is like one a thousand day. years. Yeah. yeah, one day is like a thousand years. I think that's First Peter, yeah.
1: Which... The the I'm pretty sure the Hebrew word for day is mm-hmm. the same word for period, but it says the evening and the morning were the first, were the first day. day.
3: Mm-hmm. And so, listeners, so, if you if you're hearing this, uh, like I said, there's a lot of debate when it comes to this. I mean, I would be a young Earth, uh, and I know many other Christians that would defend differently. But you know, that's not necessarily uh, a what we would call a first tier principle, doctrine. Right. It first comes with salvation in Jesus Christ, authority of scripture. Those are like first tier things. Then you have other issues that you can go through and that's based on interpretation, so forth.
2: Yeah, believing either way is the only thing it's gonna do to have a, a debate or an argument about that is to keep you from what you need to know. Right. Is you know, Jesus died on the cross and rose again the third day. That's the important stuff. Right.
0: All sudden all we have to do, you know, the, the tension is around the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, but science has said, science has said, the Bible says, science has said, the Bible says, and all of a sudden there's this extraordinary, extraordinary tension. If the Bible, if the Bible, if the bi- entire Bible isn't true, then let's be honest, the Bible isn't true. I mean, if the whole thing isn't true, because when you grow up and I grew up, if you grew up in a church in the United States, it's basically the Bible says it, that settles it. The Bible says it, that settles it. And then we grow up and we become adults and we become aware of things that make us wonder if everything in the Bible is true. And when we conclude or if we come to the conclusion that maybe it's not all as true as we were told it was true, Christianity comes tumbling down.
1: It's going to be hard for me to formulate this, but this sermon is a mixture of modernism bridging itself to postmodernism. And I'm going to explain that. Modernism was founded on the belief that there is universal truth. Okay? That truth is not relative. Truth is objective. There is truth.
3: Hmm.
1: Postmodernism says there's no truth. And so what I feel like he's trying to do is I feel like he's trying to get the postmodern generation who doesn't believe in objective truth to say, ah, eh, parts of the Bible can not be true, and we can still accept, uh, accept it. hmm Because, you know, if you, if you reject absolute truth, which the postmodernism does, then you are going to reject the view that all of the Bible is true. Mm-hmm. And so he is almost like propping up postmodernism as the litmus test for faith rather than the declaration of Scripture. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, it's like they say it could be
1: true to you, but that doesn't make it true to me. Correct. And so it's almost like validating, well, let's let, let's let all this stuff be not true. But let's believe in the things we want to believe in, mm-hmm. which is what seeker-friendly movements do. They believe in what they want to believe in, but they reject the things that are problematic.
0: Hmm. Christians feel, your parents felt, your pastor felt, perhaps you still feel, that the pressure to defend the Bible, because if you don't defend the Bible, you can't defend Christianity. And this puts the Bible... In the center of the debate. This puts the spotlight on the Bible. This puts the Bible in a place that if we can't defend everything in it, everything in it goes away. And the good news is that that's very unfortunate. And the great news is that is absolutely unnecessary. Christianity and the Christian faith is far, far, far more endurable than any of that so here's here's my christianity
1: is far more endurable than the bible
3: (laughs) let me ask you a question okay go ahead robert do you feel pressure when you defend the bible pressure what do you mean like he's saying you know (laughs) we have all this pressure to be able to defend everything in the bible Uh, like do you feel that pressure when you're defending the bible because i'm sitting here thinking like i don't feel the pressure defending scripture because I believe that it's the word of God and that it's so sharp that it will pierce the heart. Yes, that, You know what I'm saying? Like I don't feel pressure when I'm defending scripture. Mm-hmm. I don't have an issue of telling why I believe uh, that God created. I don't have a problem defending the different aspects of that, you know, scripture when it comes to the miraculous, when God did the healing and so forth, because if God can create, he can do this. Right. And, you know, like I don't know I don't get it. I don't feel the pressure of sharing scripture because I guess I believe in the power of the scripture.
1: Right. I think that um man I lost my train of thought. Oh, oh, this is good. I feel the pressure in having to defend the wrong interpretation of scripture from the preacher. That's yeah. the only that's the only pressure I feel. But mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, C.S. Lewis said the Jesus is like a lion you don't have to defend him, just let him out of the cage
3: mm, and so will roar That's exactly
1: right. and, and you know we're called gospel defenders because the Bible says, be prepared, give a defense for the hope that is in you um, but but really when, when we give a, a defense what we're, what we're meaning is we give a presentation we give a a thorough uh, convicted and and sufficient declaration of what we fully believe Mm -hmm. it has to be the full gospel based on the full word of god is what we believe that's what we're defending and i think what he's trying to defend is some sort of conglomeration of postmodern, new age christianity and that's what this whole sermon series is well i don't think
2: he's having to defend i don't he's not he's getting trying to get to the point where he doesn't have to defend anything if if somebody comes up to him and says, Well, this didn't happen, the Exodus didn't happen, he's like, Well, that's okay because this part of the is true. You, right. know, you may not believe it but I do, but this part is true. And he doesn't have to defend it. So right. it makes it easier for him.
3: Maybe But it's not the truth. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe he's wanting to have just something easy and simple, you know. Ah, oh, don't worry about it, man. Here, here you go. Mm-hmm. Go about your merry way.
2: And it's something to present that way and say, Oh, look how easy it is. Come and join me. Mm -hmm. It's not so hard. It's like saying we have free pie, (laughs) but when they get there, there's still no pie. So you're not doing anybody any good. Right.
3: But if he would realize on the other side, when we believe in the power of scripture, that it is that simple because God does the work. Mm -hmm. God does the act. God changes the heart. That's where it comes. Even when the Jews were were blinded, Jesus said you were blinded because of this. And you know, but it takes God to open the eyes of people to see. And you know, I think it was Al Mohler. I just read
1: something today. He said, "Our job is to get the gospel to their ears, but only God can take it from their ears to their heart." Mm -hmm. You just defend the gospel. Let God do the salvation. Amen. You don't have to give people permission to step back into the faith through a seeker-friendly postmodern sermon series. You know, because if that's where your faith is, they stepped out of it in the first place, which is not salvation. They weren't born again. They're false converts.
0: I plead today, and then we're gonna jump into some detail. If you deconverted, if you walked away from Christianity, if you kind of stepped back from the whole thing because of something you read in the Bible, something you were told about the Bible, I want you to listen carefully. Because at the end, I want to invite you to take a step back toward the faith of your childhood, not childhood faith. It's time that it grows up, but the great news is, there is a grown-up version, there is an adult version that is far less fragile than the Bible says it, that settles it, and if the Bible didn't say it, that doesn't settle it, and if there's anything wrong with the Bible, then the whole thing comes tumbling, tumbling down. Christianity, okay? Christianity does not exist because of the Bible
1: disagree I understand I understand where he's going Christianity exists because of God Christianity exists because of Christ Christianity exists because of the cross Christianity exists because of the resurrection but um, I don't guys I, I haven't seen Golgotha uh, I haven't seen the empty tomb maybe one day I will but the only reason i'm a christian is because someone preached the bible to me and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of christ
3: that's it that's, that's the word.
1: so the good. logos of christ that's not even in my notes
3: And you don't even
0: have notes <laughs> i have you know. no notes at all <laughs> that's pretty good any more than you exist because of your birth certificate Christianity does not exist because of the Bible any more than you exist because of your birth certificate. Your birth certificate documents, documented something that happened. Okay. And the New Testament, we're not talking about the whole Bible, the New Testament documents, document something that happened.
1: Notice what happened there. We're not talking about the whole Bible. Because the New Testament document what's, documents what happens.
3: So then is he saying that the the whole Bible, besides the New Testament, which he'd be referring to the Old Testament, 75% did, <laughs> didn't happen? The Bible that
1: Paul told Timothy, you have learned the scriptures from your youth. That's everything that Timothy read. Everything that Paul was instructed in by Gamaliel. Everything that Jesus was uh, dialoguing with in the temple when he was 12 years old. The, the scroll that he read from Isaiah when he was... Uh, before he The ended authority
3: ed- that he gave the scriptures when he's telling the crowds.
1: Everything <laughs> that he was quoting from the Old Testament. You know, I've been reading the book of Hebrews in my disciple group. It is mind-blowing to me how much Hebrews is quoting the Old Testament. Mm. Like today we're reading Hebrews chapter 4, it's quoting Psalm 95. You know, it's it, it's quoting from um, Moses in the Exodus. Well, that's interesting if the Exodus didn't happen, Right. All, all the New Testament is quoting the Old Testament as the foundation for why they're doing what they're doing.
3: Hey, what do you think Jesus was doing the forty days that he was here after he rose from the dead? I think
1: he was um, reciting popular song lyrics.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I would say incorrect. I would say he—that is incorrect. <laughs> he was probably revealing himself. Uh, into the scriptures of showing the scriptures that it was talking about him, so that his disciples were properly prepared to go out and tell of the way, the truth, and the life. Well,
1: where where I thought you were going is, you said the forty days in the desert, right?
3: No, 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 no. What uh, did you
1: say after the resurrection? The after the resurrection, days. when oh, he spent.
3: I'm sorry, I was totally <laughs> off there.
1: I thought you were saying when Jesus was in, was in the desert, what oh. was he doing? Yeah. And this is the same thing. When he was in the desert, what was he doing? He was quoting the Old Testament to Satan.
3: Yes. yes. Okay.
1: Man does not live by the uh, bread alone, but every word of God. And what word of God did he have at the time? The Old Testament. Amen. And then you're saying after the, the resurrection, resurrection yeah. what was he doing?
3: <laughs> he was not... <laughs> was I was like, so I was wondering where he was going the with that. Song lyrics. The song
1: lyric. The <laughs> reciting song lyrics. <laughs> Popular song lyrics.
4: No, so he
1: was he was especially the disciples who didn't recognize him, and the Bible says that he explained the scriptures, and that's where we get the Greek word hermeneutics. That's right. Explained, expounded the scriptures to them, so they would see that the whole Old Testament was pointing to him.
0: Christianity does not exist because of the Bible; it is the other way around. And here's why I say that.
1: Actually, um, the Bible existed before Christianity existed. 75% of it did. And, I mean, even Christianity as we know it today was, well, you, you think about it, church wasn't even fully in agreement on what the Trinity was till the Council of Nicaea in, in right. the year 300. So, what is what is our faith based upon? Well, it's based upon the canon of scriptures, which was assembled over a period of a few hundred years, you know. But because before that, you wouldn't have had necessarily the Book of Hebrews, you wouldn't have had necessarily First Corinthians, or, or so. This whole thing. Why do we base our life on the New Testament now? is because it was addressing all the problems that was in the church. It was correcting their theological errors. So you had Christians who were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. <laughs> well, that's not biblical Christianity because the Spirit inspired Paul to correct that. You had Christians who were trying to teach others to be circumcised. That's not biblical Christianity. book of Galatians was inspired to correct that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on and on and on, you had Christians who were doing these things in a misguided way because the full revelation of the books of the canon of the Bible were still in development.
3: That's right. And you, and you go back to a lot of those different issues within the church. A lot of it was based off either tradition or what man thought. Mm-hmm. Trying to influence, put theirself in different aspects. Trying to add to the scripture. Mm-hmm but it requires a history lesson. So instead
0: of taking notes, I would suggest that you take pictures. But if you're going to take pictures of the screen, you need to turn your flash off. We have plenty of light up here, believe me. Okay, a little history lesson. And no history lesson is complete without a timeline. So here's the timeline, you ready? Everybody thinking, everybody with me?
1: I'm excited about history right now. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, first of all, we gotta get one thing straight. Um, in the first century, um, when Jesus was alive and walking around, they were used the Julian calendar, not the Gregorian calendar that we use, which means the dates got a little out of whack. In fact, around 525 A.D., somebody came up with the bright idea of reorienting history around the birth of Christ, A.D., B.C., not A.C., D.C., two different things, A.D., B.C., okay? But unfortunately, unfortunately in 525, they weren't able to accurately figure out when that actually happened. Then in the 16th century, the Gregorian calendar became the calendar that we use and they incorporated into it the whole AD BC. So all of that to say, you don't have to remember any of that, all of that to say, Jesus was born about two or three years before his birth. No, so Jesus was born Jesus was actually born in two or three B.C., the best that we can tell, but here's where we start moving forward with our um, discussion today. At around 30 A.D., around 30 A.D., Jesus was crucified. Three days later, he rose from the dead, and about two and a half or two months later, the church was launched. In 30 A.D., several dozen Jewish people went into the streets of Jerusalem and they said, you crucified him, God raised him, we've seen him, say you're sorry. You crucified him right here in this city. God has raised him from the dead. We've seen him. Now you need to say you're sorry. And hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people in the city of Jerusalem embraced a risen Savior, not 50 years later, just a few weeks after the actual resurrection. And when that happened, the church...
1: I think he left an, a crucial part out about the Holy Spirit descending upon them. And 3,000 were added to the faith that day. They, it wasn't because they, made a, they stepped into... They, they get, were given permission.
3: Mm.
1: No, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. To be his witnesses. Their hearts were changed. Their eyes were opened. Their ears were opened. And they were, they were born again. The
0: church was born. The next important date as we move through this is 70 A.D. In 70 AD, the the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by the Roman legions. And in 66 AD, four years before, um, Vespasian came down from Galilee and began to roll up city and town and village after city, town and village, coming down, moving down toward Jerusalem to squelch and to put to end, once and for all, the Jewish revolt and the Jewish rebellion against Rome. When he approached the city of Jerusalem, basically he had funneled all the people who were in rebellion, all the different factions, all the different gangs, all the different people who were trying to take over and run the country. He funneled them all into the city of Jerusalem. Then he went to Rome, eventually became an emperor, left his son Titus to finish it up. Titus builds a ditch and an earth wall all the way around the city and day after day after day crucifies hundreds and hundreds and eventually thousands of Jews outside the city as a threat. Eventually the walls were breached actually on August the 6th, August the 6th, the year 70, the walls were breached, the Roman soldiers went into the city of Jerusalem, they burned down the temple. They enslaved tens of thousands, some say hundreds of thousands. So many slaves drove the price down in the slave trade market from there all the way to the city of Rome. Jews were eventually expelled from the city. No Jews allowed in the city of Jerusalem. And thousands and thousands and thousands of Jewish people died, 70 AD. Now, the reason this is an important date for us is none of what I just described, none of what I just described is described or referenced in any of the New Testament documents that eventually became our New Testament.
3: So he's done pretty, pretty well talking about the history so far. We would mm-hmm. agree with that, right? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Just as Jesus said that there will not be one stone left upon another, fulfilling the temple being destroyed in 70 AD, mm-hmm. right? And so I have no problems with what he said during this part. He's actually done fairly well. Right. So, but you can't dismiss every the twenty or fourteen minutes leading up to this point. Right. Because this is, you know, your whole view leading up to this point. Even though you're doing good now, you you've kind of set. That's where the twisting comes. You see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Right. I, I would say he's preaching truth right here. Well, yeah. I mean, he's teaching
1: a history lesson. He's still not giving scripture. Right. And he's just, I mean, he, he's doing nothing any different than what a college world history professor is doing right now.
3: But a, as a listener, I guess where I was going is, if I was sitting there listening to this, correct? you know, the 14 minutes leading up to this point, you're kind of confused, you're wondering, and then he comes, now he's preaching truth. So mm-hmm. then you're going to think, oh, the 14 minutes prior, well, yep. I guess I can agree with what he was saying, because now I know that this happened. Yep. Why do we know that? Well, because we can look back through history and see that this happened. We can look back and see that uh, the church fathers had documents of the temple being destroyed and so forth when it comes to uh, other writings. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's where I was getting at. The 14 minutes prior, you're probably sitting there, if you're in the audience, you're like, hmm, I'm kind of confused by this. Do I Can I believe what he's saying? But then when he starts coming with some truth of history, like you said, then they can be like, oh, I can accept this now. Right.
2: Well, the main thing is, is don't hold your breath because, you know, when he's done with the history lesson, what's his point going to be then? Correct. We will see.
0: So, one of the mysteries of history is why is there no reference to an event? It wasn't a day. This was like really five years, but four intense years where it was dangerous to live in Galilee, dangerous to live in the city of Jerusalem, dangerous to live in Judea. The Jewish people were constantly under threat. I mean, it was a horrible, horrible, horrible time. And there is no reference to any of that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. There's no reference. And the only logical, probable explanation is it hadn't happened yet. It hadn't happened yet. Which means that all the New Testament documents, all the New Testament manuscripts that were written by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, all of these documents were probably written before the destruction of the temple. Which means they were all written between about 49 and and 69, but let's be kind of open-minded because a lot of scholars think they were written later. So we're gonna extend our little yellow line out to about 86 AD. This is when the gospels were written and the epistles of Paul. Now the reason that's important is these documents were written during the time when the eyewitnesses to what Jesus claimed to have done were still alive. Now, what you were taught and what some of us were taught in school and sort of the word on the street is no, 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 no. All these things were written way after 90 AD, maybe 100 AD, way But there is no, there is absolutely no evidence for that, none. The reason some scholars wanna push the writing of the New Testament documents way out here is because of miracles and specifically because of the resurrection of Jesus. And so as the story goes like this, well, you know, there was all these, everybody wanted to believe he was alive and everybody started saying that maybe they'd seen him and time went by and time went by and time went by. And through oral tradition, these stories got bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually somebody wrote them down because it takes about 70 years for legend to start to sound like history. The problem is nobody references a point in time when if you are Jewish and you're living in the vicinity of Jerusalem, Judea, and you're traveling to Galilee, how in the world could you not at least reference what was going on while you were writing and documenting the life of Jesus? It's virtually impossible to imagine. All of the evidence, or most of the evidence, really all the real evidence points to the fact that these documents were written between about 50, 52, 49, and 70, or let's string it out to 86. Now, here's the part that you don't care about, but this is so important, especially if you walked away from Christianity because of something in the Bible. The New Testament writers, especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they did not write as if this was story. In fact, there are stories written you a know, pre- century before Jesus, two or three centuries after. So there's like a story motif when people are writing fiction. It sort of all sounds the same, just like it does today when people write fiction. But the, the um, gospel writers wrote as if they were writing history. And I wanna just give you one example of this, okay? This is really, really important. So this is from the Gospel of Luke, and these are the verses that if you read the New Testament, when you get to them, you just skim over them because you think, oh, this isn't important. But I want you to notice, I want you to notice how the extent that Luke goes to to pin himself down to a specific historical context because he was writing history. Listen to what he does. Look how far he goes. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar... When Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Aturia, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. So when did this happen? <laughs> now, let, let me, this is, this is huge. Okay, look, this is Luke's, wait, remember, we're not talking about the Bible. This is a person who wrote a document that we call the Gospel of Luke. This is,
1: <laughs> what did he just say?
0: <laughs> we're not talking He's, about the Bible. What?
1: <laughs> so we're
2: not talking about the Bible. We're talking about a part of the Bible.
1: I could
2: hear that again. That
0: makes, oh, wow. You back that up just a hair. So when did this happen? <laughs> now, let, let me, this is, this is huge. Okay, look. This is Luke's way. Remember, we're not talking about the Bible. This is a person who wrote a document that we call the Gospel of Luke.
1: There is <laughs> the problem. He thinks history is a different genre than the Bible. That Luke's history isn't the Bible. That that makes no sense to me.
3: Yes, yeah, like so what he's doing here, he's giving scripture, he's giving Luke chapter three, verses one through two, showing that Luke is documenting and he's given so much detail so that the people who were around, the eyewitnesses, would know during this time, like, hey, Luke is giving truth here. Mm-hmm. How do we know this? Well, I was around. Oh, okay, I can tell others what Luke is saying is accurate. Mm-hmm. No different if we were talking about a major world event that would happen now, we could sit here and pinpoint certain things, whether if it was 9-11, we could say, hey, the Twin Towers fell on this date at this time. Why? Because there's eyewitnesses account and so forth. Uh, you know, you can go on and on and on with different other stories. But then he changes it like he's not confirming the Bible. Mm -hmm. It's a document. Right.
1: Like this is a great apologetic to show why the Word of God is the Word of God. Yeah. Right. Because it's so precise. But instead of using it to uphold the Bible, he's contrasting it somehow against the Bible.
3: I don't understand it, i don't either he's it, like he's like almost on the fence you know what i'm saying like he's like one side he's confirming he's like oh look how amazing luke took uh to put all these different details in the bible right but then you don't have to hold to the bible you see yeah. what i'm saying it's like he's like he's playing ping pong with himself right ping pong yeah i do does he feels? not think that luke is part of the bible that <laughs> that luke's
1: gospel is in the bible Maybe he uses some sort of apocryphal Bible where, like, the history books are extra. I don't know.
3: Well, let's read the uh, opening uh, few verses of Luke. Yes, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to the compel a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty, certainty concerning the things that have been taught." Things that have been taught. Wow. I mean, Luke it's it, even in the books of Acts, in the book of Acts, he does and who, it. The and who's same Luke way. writing to? Uh, Theophilus. Theophilus, that's right. And so he's like, this is an orderly account. This is what has taken place. Eyewitnesses are there, yep. so forth. And why do we believe that? Because we believe in the authority of Scripture. We can trust in the Scripture. We know that when Luke was writing, uh, he was saying, hey, you can trust into this word. Why? Because there were eyewitnesses account. And we know that not one word will, will fade, that the Word of God will last forever.
1: Well, and that's how the uh, church fathers used their litmus test for what was Scripture and what was not Scripture. Because you know, there's all these other Gospels. There's the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary, like these Gnostic Gospels that were created, especially that were created in 100 and, and after 100 AD. Mm-hmm. And the, the way they knew what was Scripture and what wasn't Scripture is what matched with the rest of Scripture.
3: Amen. And how it taught. Like, what was the central uh, point? Was it revealing something about man or was it revealing about God? Right. And when they saw that, hey, this is all about God, this is about His glory, His honor, His praise, they, led by the Holy Spirit, they said, this is Scripture. Amen. Yeah, and it's like he was talking about
2: earlier when he's talking about the time period it being written. So a lot of people want to say it was, you know, a hundred something. That way they can say, well, the story got passed along and it got changed. But he wants to say, No, it was written during the time that it actually happened, so you had these eyewitnesses doing it. It doesn't matter when it was written because it's the inerrant inspired word of God. Right. Mm-hmm. And
1: whatever God told you to write down, that's what they wrote down. And most, you know, most research says, like for example, the Gospel of Mark Okay, Mark wasn't a, well, Luke wasn't a disciple. He was a a historian, so he was getting the eyewitness accounts. Mm -hmm. Um, Mark wasn't a disciple. He was um, a student of Peter, so he was recording everything that was being recited. So, you know, we already have oral tradition in factor that's going into play, but it validates your point that whenever they wrote it down, the reality is that the Holy Spirit inspired them to write it down Mm -hmm. and was giving them the capacity and the knowledge to, you know, I believe the Holy Spirit gave Luke the conviction because he was a physician and he was detail-oriented already, gave him the conviction to include all those details. Mm -hmm. Because some of the other Gospels don't include those details.
3: Well, and, and I was speaking to an atheist one time, He was trying to bring up some contradictions about the Bible and so forth. Like, um, Don't quote me, but going off memory, he was trying to bring up one. It might have been like in Mark, how it said, two days later, he came into town. And then over here in Luke, it might have said, three days later, he came into town. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, we were discussing those aspects. I was like, okay, let's just kind of talk in our terms, our language. Um, If I came in on Friday and I left out on Sunday, how many days did I stay? What would you say if I came in on Friday and left on Sunday? How many days did I say? Three, or someone could say two exactly. And that's the point, and that's and that's where we're getting at. Because do you count Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Because I just came in on Friday and I left on Sunday. Did I really stay on Sunday? I only stayed Friday, Saturday, I left out on Sunday. And so we we discussed those things. I'm like, so the point of the story is you're getting two narratives from two different people just as I was to tell a story. If I came in on Friday and left out on Sunday, would I tell you two days or three days? Well, one person may th- say three days. It doesn't take away from what they tell about the story that took a place on the weekend. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And and a lot of like, uh, there's a an awesome writer who comes from more of a forensic scientific fact. He was a um, CSI. And he shows how in the Gospels that uh, he can show just as uh, eyewitness testimonies that Scripture is true based off of uh, how the writers wrote. Mm -hmm. Because if all four Gospels were to the T, word for word, exactly the same, then he would say, well, that's kind of false, because nowhere in any type of case, cold case, that you would come to would you see all four people have exactly word for word the same story. It means it's manufactured. Exactly. And what he would say, he would take all four people... And if they all had the same, like, uh, John shot Tim, if they all said that and confirmed that. He would say, "Okay, now let's depict the rest of their story to see if it's true." Mm-hmm. Right. Because
1: one person may have said John killed Tim.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: One person may have said John shot Tim.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know. Yeah.
1: One could have said he had a blue shirt on.
2: One could have said it was a dark, you know, or a black, and somebody right. said dark blue, or so.
3: I mean, that was good evidence that was, that was a little bit of a tangent But yeah. I just wanted to show That how Like even when Luke is writing The orderly account Of how he used The eyewitnesses To yep. show The You know The gospel narrative
1: Here we go About 20 more minutes So about 127
0: This is Luke's way of saying Fact check me I dare you
1: this- What are they going to do Go to Google <laughs> <laughs> Yahoo They're going to Yahoo yes. it up it's
3: Yahweh <laughs> <laughs> you know, your, your Yahweh last week was... Was it better? Was it, it was better. This okay, one had a little more of a... a little off pitch. I didn't, I didn't
1: I want to repeat it. That's good comedic relief. We've been going a long time.
3: <laughs> this isn't,
0: you know, some time ago, or a long time ago, or back when the Romans ruled the earth, or in you know, in a galaxy far, far away,
1: Actually, this was when the Romans ruled the earth.
0: ...or once upon a time, Fact or back check. in the day. He says, no, no, no. What I'm
1: the story- Wait, did he say in this video that he doesn't use notes in his preaching? Mm, I, don't, I didn't hear it on this one. It's either one of these, but he doesn't use notes. And that's why you should use notes, because he says wrong things. <laughs> that's why I use notes. Just throwing it out there.
0: D- Duly noted. I'm about to tell you is narrative, is history. This really happened, and I want to pin it down to a very, very, very specific time in history because this actually happened. Check my facts now. If you're making something up that you want people to believe, you would never ever do this. This is way too risky, it's much too easy to show that you're lying or exaggerating. Now, I gotta move on, but this is such a big deal. I want to give you, uh, I want to give you. A-
3: See, that goes back to the other point. See how much he's emphasizing on this history lesson that he's given? Right. And then he's going into the part of, uh, with Luke, mm-hmm. and check me, fact check, and he talks about truth and lie. Now what the listener has heard, just because if they went back and they checked what he's talking about, they would say, oh, well, he's correct, this is, this is right. I Googled it. <laughs> I Googled it, and I feel that he was speaking truth, Everything that led up to that point, I'm going to accept it. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? I think what he's saying, though, is that that's what Luke is saying. Luke is saying, "I have all
2: of this information in here, so you can go back and check and see that I'm not lying, not right. telling you the truth." Right. But like the whole Bible is is like that. The whole Bible says, "Go back and check me, and I'll show you that I'm telling you the truth."
3: Ooh, mm, Bible so says, good.
1: "Fact check me, son."
3: <laughs> You just go, uh, I like the, 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 the swag you had there when you said that so much swag, swagger, a
0: resource that if you're interested in this kind of thing, my friend, Frank Turek a few years ago wrote a book called stealing from God.
1: Yep. Frank Turek. There's a name lumped in all of the Thomas Aquinas, the Thomists, Southern evangelical that group of apologeticists all kind of run in the same circles. Their mind frame. Mm -hmm. I bet Andy will never quote James White. No. Probably not, because he believes in the sufficiency
0: of Scripture. And in chapter seven of this book, he goes deep on this whole question of, can we really believe or take seriously the New Testament documents? The entire book is fabulous. In fact, he addresses many of the things that we're addressing in this series. It's an easy to read book. He's done a great job with his research, but chapter seven deals specifically with this question. So here's what happened. These documents, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Paul's epistles, all of these documents are so valuable to the first century church, that what do they do? They run down to kinkos. It's like, I wanna have my own copy. Oh, there's no kinkos, so what do they do? They begin to meticulously copy these documents. Now, here's something you don't know, but it's just one of those unexplainable mysteries of history. In the first century, there is an explosion of documents and documentation about the life of Jesus and the copies of the letters of Paul and Peter and James. I mean, there is nothing to match this in any ancient history. In fact, there's nothing to match this until the creation of the printing press. The, the idea that so many people would write so many things and meticulously copy the you know, the core essential teachings of the church for it to to circulate the way it did there 's nothing like it there 's not even anything close. These documents were distributed to Rome from Jerusalem to Constantinople um, to Egypt um, all around the Mediterranean rim in fact there are thousands and thousands and thousands of these documents now. When you go to school or when people kind of say, ah, the New Testament. Which they'd actually been doing for several hundred
1: years with the Old Testament.
3: And God was in it, so that's why it was miraculous. Correct.
1: So the, the, that's why it was called the scribes and the Pharisees. What did the scribes do? They were the full-time copiers of the Word of God. Right. Who were the first believers at Pentecost? Oh, yeah, that's right. They were Jewish Mm. So the early church had already been ingrained in a pattern of copying by hand the manuscript tradition, scripture tradition. So this wasn't just an anomaly that happened. This was the process of God's revealed
3: word being passed down through the centuries like it's happened from the beginning. And you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit. God was in it.
1: How are, you going to, how are you going to witness unless you have the, you can take physically with you? And I, and, and, you know, I think that's what they would do. As Paul was going and uh, establishing churches, what did he tell Timothy? Continue in the apostles' teachings.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Well, what did Timothy have as the record of the apostles' te- teachings? The documents that were written and given to him, distributed to him the letters that were given to the Corinthians church and the church in Ephesus, and on and on and on. This was the pattern that they had already been studied and ingrained in.
0: The Bible, can't believe the Bible. There were lots of errors, and they just copy, copy, copy. Look up here. That is so ignorant. That, that's just somebody who doesn't want to take the... <laughs> That's
1: ignorant to think that there's errors in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. What a double standard, man. That's his whole sermon. I mean,
0: ping-pong, ping-pong, ping-pong. the time to look at the fact that's somebody who's lazy but if you are interested in
1: someone who's lazy doesn't check the references in the bible
3: someone who's lazy who doesn't uh have the confidence in the scripture and be able to to say oh i can defend this because i'm too lazy i want to run from it i just want it to be simple right
0: Stepping back toward the guy that you grew up with, but the grown-up version. If you are really interested when you look at the facts, the facts are so extraordinarily overwhelming. Let me ask you a question, what do you make copies of? I know the answer. You make copies of things that are important. I mean, you throw stuff away all the time. But maybe years and years ago, you actually hand copied something. Or now it's like, oh, I wanna make sure this doesn't fade over time, I'm gonna copy it. Or I'm gonna go down, I'm gonna go to my copy or make copies. We only copy things that are important. And let me tell you what, wax tablets and the things that they wrote with were so expensive and so precious, it is even more evidence as to how valuable these documents were, that they they weren't writing new things, they were making copies of things and distributing them all over the place. They were username and password careful, okay, because this was so extraordinarily important. And... Again, you hear, well, there's mistakes, and you know, anybody that writes something, there's mistakes, absolutely. There are thousands of variations in these documents because they were copied so many times and dispersed so broadly. Here's the great news. There are thousands of documents that can be compared to each other, and guess what? If you have an English study Bible, Any English study Bible in the footnotes of a Bible you probably already own are the variants that make or could possibly make any difference in what's being said or taught. This is why every once in a while in a footnote, it'll say, an earlier document says this. An earlier manuscript says this. A
3: later manuscript says this. You know why? I have a reason why. Why does the Bible put that in there? What do you guys think? Before he gives his answer, what do you think? Like our study Bibles? Yeah, why does it have in there... <clears throat> this an older manuscript may say this or uh the translation may say this. Why are the footnotes there? What would you say? Well, one thing is it's showing that there
1: has been, you know, differences in the text. mm
3: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Which again shows us that they're not manufactured. Right. Um two, it could show us, you know, potential uh additions or, or explanations from scribes. Um but it's also pointing to the old, the oldest manuscripts that we have, mm-hmm. and what they were saying. I don't know where you're going with it.
3: Um, <clears throat> how about this one? The Bible has nothing to hide. Mm. Oh, you, you go with me for a second. I hear you. Okay. The Bible has nothing to hide. That it's so confident, even within itself, even if uh, this scribe or this uh, person who made a copy, so forth, it doesn't. The one little. Variation right here or one extra grammar mark over here does not hurt the Bible whatsoever. And so no. we can put those in there and say, hey, look, other manuscript may take this because it doesn't take nothing from the message. It takes nothing that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is God, that he is risen from the dead. Correct. We have enough cohesive uh, foundational points to point into the Bible that that does not ruin an argument. And We can put it in there. We hide nothing. We show all our errors, all our faults. If there is any, here you go. So basically, what you're saying is the the footnotes say, "Fact check me, son.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Swagger, son. Swagger." Do you feel like that is a uh, a good place?
3: Let's let's hear what he has to say about that. Okay, about that.
0: There's nothing to hide, and the variance in <laughs> the documents makes no theological. Op- and
1: we think that's true for the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. True
0: or historical difference zero in other words there's not a batch of documents that say Jesus was crucified and another ones that say no he fell off a ladder while cleaning the gutters you know it's not like there is no and I am being facetious there is no there is absolutely no big change in the story, because they were username and password careful. This was like, oh my gosh, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul. Can I hang on to this for just a couple hours? You can sit there and watch me. I know you don't want to lose this. I promise. Let's compare. They were, it was, it was unbelievable. And here's here's the thing that I don't want you to miss. They did not make copies of the gospels because they believed they were inspired.
3: You know, I was just about to make the comment. <laughs> I was just about to say, from minute 14 to 21 minutes and 15 seconds. Man, if he just was stuck on this road, he would have been way better off. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, <clears throat> if he would have just stayed where he's at about the scriptures, the importance, even what he said about nothing was hidden. Man, I can go with that. I'm like, oh, okay, Mr. Andy, you're good to go. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> you got the first 14 minutes and now I'm curious about what he's going to say here. There's caution. I don't know. I do not like that it says did not. Uh, they did not make the copies of the gospel because they believe they were inspired.
1: And I don't know you guys uh, that are listening uh, can't see what we're looking at. We're watching his um, video on Who Needs God dot com, and so everything he says, he's got these slides behind him on the TV behind him. Maybe I need one of those, Robert. I can mm. put scripture on it. Point people to scripture. But anyway. So he's got this big slide that says, they did not make copies of the Gospels because they believed they were inspired. I mean, this is, this is the message you're giving your audience. You're 33,000 people.
3: Yeah. You know. And you're highlighting <laughs> certain words in there. When you highlight oh, yeah. certain words, that, that's, that's like marketing. Yeah. You're, you're marketing something because you're wanting to catch your... Let
1: okay. me ask you this. Go ahead. Do you think he even believes in the inspiration of the New
3: Testament? I have not heard him allude to that fact yet. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It just, like, because when you listen, to, like I said, that seven minute period, you're like, okay, it's not bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can, I can kind of uh, agree with him, right? But the the first fourteen minutes, definitely no, right? Like you said, incorrect, well, falsely. Even in the good true stuff, everything yeah. is just this is history, and especially when he made the comment, we're not talking about the Bible, we're talking about Luke, exactly. <laughs> and and you know those little key words, those you know those little jabs here or there, the little points here and there, that's what dictates someone's uh, thought process. You really, you know, I've always said, even when it comes to meeting people, you can hang out with somebody for three months and be tricked and not really know who they are, but you give it some time, six months, a year, you really start finding out who they are, what they're about, uh, what their interests are. And, you know, if someone's saying, oh, I love God, you know, I'm following Christ. They can do that for a period of time of tricking you, but when you start spending some time with them, you start seeing their theology, you start seeing, you know what, they care nothing about Jesus. And I'm not saying he doesn't, I'm just saying in the context of, you see how he portrays one thing, but those little words are starting to come out, the little sentences are starting to come out. You don't really know if he believes that the Bible is inspired or not, or the New Testament is inspired scripture.
2: Yep. Let it play just a little bit more. He says they did not make copies of the gospel because they believed they were inspired. I okay. want to know why he says they did. Okay.
3: They made
0: copies of the gospels because they believed they were true. So time marches on, then we go back to our timeline. These documents are circulating. Okay. a
3: second. Let's let's yeah. end it the topic today on this, but I'm confused by that.
1: So okay, here's what he's doing. He's separating history. From revelation. hmm mm, Okay. So in his mind, truth is not equal to inspiration because he doesn't believe the whole Bible is true. Wow. Do you see you see where I'm making that jump there? Yeah. They didn't believe they were inspired, they just believed they were true. Right. Well, he's talking about the people who made the copies. Yeah,
3: that's what I'm saying. Yeah, even even they were had to have been inspired. But, but, yeah, I, I get it because if you use that type of language, that's what you're saying. Boom, you're hit. That's the exclamation mark right there. Because, all right, so if we're looking at the screen and you see what, what's highlighted, inspires highlighted and truth highlighted. Right. But the way the conversation is flowing, he's saying that, uh, you <laughs> that inspiration ain't true, right? He's put more history facts as truth, holding more weight on that than the inspiration of the word of God,
1: which is what I went back to last week about Thomas Aquinas that naturalism comes before faith or I'm sorry mm-hmm. natural revelation precedes faith
4: mhm so that's, yeah
2: that, i mean that's also why he made such a big deal about making sure that it was he knew everybody was said it was written you know while he was still alive or there were still eyewitnesses that were accountable to it mm-hmm. cuz he wants the truth not the revelation
1: mhm Mm. wow which you know, uh, I guess. I guess postmodernism also rejects. Um, well, it would it would reject revelation, right? But in our in our scientific, uh, quantifiable, verifiable, empirical mindset, they're going to accept history, but they won't accept revelation. So that's what he's trying to portray.
3: All right, you're gonna to have to say that one more time for me because you use three big words. <laughs> yeah. And I'm a little slower than the rest. So what hey, I'm explain saying explain that is, one more time.
1: What I'm saying is the mindset in the Western, especially the Western world, mm-hmm. is that it must be demonstrable. it must be empirical, which you know, based on evidence, based on okay, okay. Um, fact, it must be scientific, testable. Observable—that's what science is. Observable, Observable all resonance. those okay, all those things. So it 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 really rejects uh, divine revelation and simply reduces faith to a natural quality
3: or something that you can quantify, something that you can measure. Well, and and you know the crazy thing about that—that's <clears throat> that's the mindset. Right about, especially when it comes to science.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: But a lot of their scientific and so forth, the way they get these answers, they're all theories. They're not observable. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? True. So they put more trust and more uh, faith in something that they say is science, but they can't even observe it. Mm-hmm. So. So, so here's what I'm, I'm thinking now. Um, he has
1: removed the supernatural component of Christianity and made it an empirical religion. Mm-hmm.
3: Boom. I agree. Fact check me, son. <laughs> swagger. Swagger. I don't even what is swagger? I don't know. That's what he has. I see it on the Old Spice commercial. So, um, Gospel Defenders, it's been a
1: man it's been a real grind in this episode 8.2. Um and,
3: and if, we, Yeah, go ahead. We we we've, we've done good. We've gotten 26 minutes into the uh, sermon today. So we went like 20, uh, almost 18 minutes. Yeah, and we and we backed up a couple minutes About from last 20, week right? just so we had uh, good context going through, but 26 minutes in, uh, roughly, I think we'll maybe be able to knock this out next week, and maybe we can even bring a little more to the table when it comes to certain things to the Scripture, whether... Uh, let's say that, let's well,
1: we'll see where next week goes. Mm-hmm. I was going to say let's save that for our, our final segment if we oh, do session go. four. Because yep. I still want to work my way through this. Because he's just now getting into actual Scripture
3: right. and
1: what he believes about Scripture. Which, this is my thesis. He fully rejects inspiration. That's what I think is going on.
3: Well, I'm so, looking forward to it. I'm excited about it.
1: Absolutely. I can't wait so, for it. Yeah. Um, so, Gospel Defenders, it's been good. Um, if you're listening to us on concordfriendship.org, Go check us out on uh, iTunes in the podcast app on your phone. Uh, download, subscribe, and give us a review. Do you know if you can do the rating on a phone or does it have to be on your laptop? I, um, did, I did mine on my laptop.
3: <clears throat> you can do it on your phone as well. You can. There is a review and rating, and so, which is key uh, to to do those because mm-hmm. what happens is you start rating us and sharing us and subscribing. We move up on the Christianity. Uh, podcast. So when you type in Christian podcast, we'll be one of the ones that start popping up more regular as what it suggests, and that get rid of uh, others who are not preaching truth. Right now,
1: Joel Osteen, I think is number one.
3: Exactly. So we
1: need a lot more reviews. A lot more reviews.
3: (laughs) So that way we don't have a fortune cookie podcast.
1: Exactly. (laughs) All right, we'll find a... uh, Oh, did you hear the song I put on last week's episode? Uh, on the end
3: I, I did listen to
1: it A Mighty yeah. Fortress is Our God uh-huh. We did that in Spirit of Reformation last year so, You know, after October 31st So we'll find a good one today uh, Today is November 8th, folks A historic day in America We don't know what's happening tonight Some will find a song that really gives us comfort In the uh, the divine, sovereign plan of God And know that He will bring glory to Himself Signing out
4: There is strength within the sorrow There is beauty in our tears. And you meet us in our mourning. With a love that casts out fear. Yeah, you're working in our waiting. You are working in our waiting. You're sanctifying us. When beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. This thing is hard. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. As we trust you, it's a loving King. You are wisdom unimagined. Just let the sovereignty of God just wash over you now just surrender control to the king of kings